Making Data Simple listeners. This is Kate Brown, your executive producer, stepping in while Al Martin is out of office. Please join us for part two of our session with Claude Eusti. I think you'll enjoy it. And as always, you know how to reach us at almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Welcome to the Making Data Simple podcast. This is where you never know what you're going to get. That's the brilliance of it, right? We're recording end of November. I hope everybody is good, safe, healthy, stay healthy. Today, I have Claude Eusti with me. Claude is a partner in IBM Global Business Services uh, with Watson Data and AI Platform practice for the public sector. His primary clients tend to be in health and in human services, and he has over 30 years of experience in the government and healthcare industries. Welcome, Claude. How are you, man? I'm great. Thank you. So when we start each podcast, this is your time to pat yourself on the back and outline any and all experience you have to to wow the audience. Or just give us your experience, if you would. Sure. Several different backgrounds. I grew up in IBM. So I started off as an engineer. I did manufacturing engineering for years on some of our computers. And then I went into chip design, and I designed microcircuits for a time. And I decided I wanted to get out in the world to get to meet people, more so than being in one of our labs. Uh, so I joined our services and sales organization. And from that point forward, I've been working with clients in healthcare. And since that time, I've worked with pharma companies, with uh, insurance companies, with healthcare providers, and most recently, the last 15, 20 years in the federal space, uh, working across all the federal, the different branches of our uh, federal government. You're working with government, healthcare, et cetera. What questions are they asking? What are they coming to you with? It, it depends on who you're talking to, as usual, but let me go down the list. I think the questions that are no longer being asked for the most part is, does this stuff really work? Uh, <laughs> and it, it sounds, you know, like I've, like you just said. But uh, when I started working in the federal space in AI about five years ago, almost everything was a science experiment. You know, take my words and interpret them and extract certain values. Well, let me give you some documents. You go try it out. Show me what you got. I want to see how accurate this thing is that you talk about. That's pretty much settled. I think that there's an understanding. AI can do a lot of pretty powerful things, maybe sometimes exaggerated in the way people perceive it, but it can do some pretty powerful things. So, so those questions are not the ones that we deal with that frequently. I think the question that's out there a lot is, okay, so here's this powerful tool, and I've got a business process how do I fit it into the way my people work? Number one, I don't want to disrupt it. Uh, I want it to be something that is complementary to what they do. So what's the fit? How does it add value? And how do I organize it? And that gets to the question of how work is done. You know, one way you can solve problems is to sort of layer AI on top of stuff. You spread it all over and say, okay, it used to be hard and difficult and manual, but I've got AI on top of it, so now it's great. And really, probably it didn't help that much. What you, I think the old term for that is paving the cow path, right? Cows used to walk across the field this way. The, the freeway is going and the trucks are going because the cows picked it, so it must be great. What we're saying is you got to redesign work sometimes. And that's one of the things I think that's being thought about in government. If I used to do it this way and I've got these new techniques, how would I do it differently going forward? And if I do that, what will my people do in that new role 
if I've got this great technology. So you get that at the operational level. Somebody who's got a problem, they got a process that's broken, they're thinking about that sort of stuff. I think you also have to consider that in government, policy matters a lot. Uh, so there's a group of folks in every agency who's keeping an eye on how work is done. We're thinking about policy. The legal staff is considering the adoption of artificial intelligence. And while not skeptical about AI, I think they scrutinize it a lot. And their question is, I hear a lot of great words, but what happens? What's the consequence of me turning this over to AI over a period of time? What will really be the end result? And they want to understand how they can be guiding an agency in the proper adoption of artificial intelligence so they can be successful and not create problems, unintended consequences, those sort of things. So you get questions about the, the policy direction, the ability to adopt successfully. Lots of people experimenting with it. Uh, a few have taken it further than experimentation. They've made a production. They've made it ready. And a lot of people studying it, looking for answers about how to best proceed. But I think it all fundamentally boils back to somebody needs to understand very, very completely how work is done today. How do people really get their job done? And if we brought this idea of AI or automation to it, where and what would we change? And how would that make things better? And if I can understand that, then I can understand how to make a decision that this AI stuff really makes a difference versus AI is a great technology, but I don't know how to apply it in the context of how my people work. Does that help you? No, it does help me. Uh, do, do you find that, you know, does it get bogged down in that policy? Are you a policy expert? I mean, what do you no. do in those? <laughs> we have, we have some people that are closer to that than me for certain. <laughs> so do we bring people in from an IBM standpoint that uh, negotiate some of the policy pieces? I, I presume that this is, again, goes back to somewhere where we started in that I presume that that policy question comes in naturally. And a lot of times policy isn't even written or what they have is a very vague policy. You got to say, okay, is it, well, you know, can we do this? Can we not do this? I mean, so where do you go with that? We can't so much negotiate policy as understand the policy that they're thinking about and see how we can help comply with the policy, right? And, and as you said, policy around artificial intelligence is young. It isn't well-defined yet. And a lot of folks are studying it and coming up with recommendations. Standards organizations and others are constantly look, looking at this and saying, so how do we regulate, manage, and adopt. Uh, so it's constantly in flux to some extent. I think our mission is when we sit down with a, an organization is to say, how do you stay out of trouble using this? Where, where would we recommend that you begin that is the most ready for adoption, the least problematic uh, for application in the way you do work. I mean, you, you brought up a great example with uh, the chat bots. Being able to answer a question that a person would have answered if only they were available, that's fairly straightforward. Somebody will probably want to look at those answers and uh, make sure that we're giving a, a an answer that isn't going to create some confusion or some issues. But beyond that, very clear cut. Automating uh, sorting, classifying, fairly straightforward. You can rapidly rise up in the areas that become very much a subject of question still. And, and those are the ones where policy, I think, needs to get solidified. It's better to start where the more foundational elements and grow into it rather than to say, let me tackle the hairiest problem I got and see what I can do with it. 
Fair enough. By the way, I think yeah, you're right. Negotiate was a bad choice of words. More, I meant interpret hmm. whatever uh, policy they have out there. So how does government differ from, you're also an expert in healthcare. How does it differ? I mean, a lot of times they got the same PHI, they have policies as well. Where do you see the big difference between healthcare and government? It's in the mission. If you think about the federal government, to some extent, they really don't provide services, healthcare services directly. Now, obviously, uh, there are places where there is uh, healthcare provided directly by the federal government, Indian Health Service, for example, parts of HHS, uh, the VA, uh, military health. Uh, but the majority of the healthcare direct delivery occurs in the commercial sector. So the mission of the commercial healthcare organizations is very patient member oriented. And they've got AI systems being developed to optimize that, to assist with providing that. There's some of that that we do in our federal space, but a, a substantial amount of it's going to be policy direction. You know, COVID, as you stated at the beginning, has become a very prominent question. The government is wrestling an awful lot with decisions on resources, where to place people, uh, how to provide support, how to execute, how to provide the outcomes, how to measure the outcomes. One of the very common questions I think you'll find in government is an agency, if you think of all the agencies, they write enormous grants, enormous dollar value in grants to many organizations. It's extremely difficult for those agencies to measure the effectiveness of those grants sometimes. What did we actually get for that money we invested? And if we invested this money in 12 different states to get something done, was there a difference in the effectiveness and why? What worked better at this state with those grants than at this other state with those same type of grants? And how would we change our program to monitor that more effectively? And on the receiving end of the grants, if people are constantly writing reports about the grant they got, which can be a little frustrating for them because they're busy trying to do what they wanted to do with the grant money to help people. Uh, so how can artificial intelligence assist with making the grant process, back to transparency and clarity, operate better? And if you spent a billion dollars on something, did you really get a billion dollars worth or should you have rethought what you did? Those areas where the federal government has some mandates nationally to help us work together and improve the common good of the citizens, that's where I think we invest a lot. And that's not the mission of, I would say, directly of health plan or a hospital group. They're, they're not going to try to organize a state-level plan on how to optimize care across all hospitals. They're managing their group of hospitals, and they've got some targets, whether they're for-profit or non-for-profit, that they're aiming to accomplish. Government, on the other hand, is trying to assist with saying, can we do preventive actions at the public health level uh, with city and county and other governments in order to prevent that from becoming a situation that you're treating in your hospital? Because that isn't, it's too late, right? We've incurred a lot of costs and the person may never get well, frankly. I think that's where the mandate differs and the focus differs. And ultimately, the government needs to be really good at directing money where it does the most good and measuring it and managing it in order to be successful. All good. But then you, you, what you say brings up another topic that comes to mind. I was just reading about 
I think it was VentureBeat that said around 90% of machine learning models never make it into production, mm. meaning one in 10 uh, data scientists workdays are actually producing something <laughs> useful. Now, some people out there probably listening, you know, they're saying, hey, that's just like the government. <laughs> but <laughs> point being is, I think it'd be, you know, sometimes it's hard just for, you know, um, a any company to be able to demonstrate ROI. But that one out of out of 10 may be a game changer that saves you all the money that that your investment is you know been put in to to help find these areas of automation etc i guess what i'm trying to say is though sometimes the roi can be difficult and i would imagine government or healthcare would struggle with that i think you're right my opinion it has been by ROI measures wasteful in many ways. I, I think you can go back like 15 years and you would have said, how productive is every IT project that an organization on average starts and completes? And I remember there was a huge fallout rate. You know, it, it wasn't like 80% of projects that an organization initiates end up in success and produce ROI. Uh, it, it was in some cases an excess of 50%, just got canceled, didn't work, something went wrong. And yet, on aggregate, those IT projects made a huge difference. If they hadn't been there, the ones that were successful, as you said, those organizations wouldn't have been successful. So I don't know you know, what the right number is. I think even 10%, as you pointed out, is worth it. I think there's constantly innovation in the development of models, and there's always somebody saying, hey, we found something else wrong with the models that you know would cause them not to be very uh, predictive in practice, although they do great in the lab test. Uh, and now that we see them in real life, oh boy, better go back, got to rethink this. I think that's going to be a going on for a while. But I think, uh, you know, what you just stated is the question, as I said, that some of the policy folks and others in an agency think about, which is, uh, all right, let's pretend it's 10%. So we're going to initiate 10 projects, one of them is good, nine of them are bad. Maybe somebody will think that's budget-wise good. Who's the smart person in the room who's going to make sure that the one we turn on and expose our citizens to is not one of the bad ones, but it's got to be the one out of 10? And how do we make sure that that's right? Because folks will be very unforgiving of a mistake there. Not to be trite, uh, if I go on to a website to order a book or to order something online, and they miss ship, then I get on a chat and I said, hey, you sent me the wrong thing. Okay, mailing label, send it back. You're good, right? Things are fine. If on the other hand, you're in the government and somebody said, hey, I ordered my meds. They didn't come. Oh, we sent them to the wrong place. Hey, we'll try it again. Uh, way different reaction is going to happen. Uh, so I think that's why in the government, there's this tendency to be conservative uh, with a caution towards the consequences and the expectations of the public. Whereas I think we are a little more forgiving sometimes of commercial enterprises. We do expect quality. I think th they do a great job. I use them all the time. But if something goes wrong, uh, we're not going to pillar them. You know, on the other hand, if there's something that goes wrong with a system that has a critical impact on Aunt Ruth, you're going to have a really strong opinion. You know, the interesting thing, you bring up a fantastic point in that, you know, we talk about, there's a lot of statistics, like I just mentioned, like 90% of machine learning models never make it into production, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we, we should probably go back to just IT projects. Uh, we're so focused on AI, we're like, aha, 
And maybe that goes back to where you were saying people are still a little suspicious, whereas I'm sure that there's a statistic that's very similar with just IT in general. Hell, I know many, many clients still trying to get ROI out of their transition to a dupe. So, so I, I won't go down that rat hole. <laughs> right, right. It was all supposed to be pretty easy until you did it. And then, you know, it's hard. I don't think we're on dead end. I mean, if I had to put something, you know, years ago, expert systems had their turn, right? And we were all going to wear helmets and we were going to go through these uh, if-then-else series of decision loops. And we were going to do great things because this thing was going to tell us what to do if we saw this. And after a fairly brief time, folks threw up their hands and said, no way, this isn't going anywhere. And there went you know, expert, quote, AI systems. I don't think they were truly AI, but I mean, they fall into the category of AI in, in some classifications I know. I, I think we're in a different world. Uh, so I, I believe that they're here to stay, and I believe they have traction to get better. I think we have to temper our expectations, to your point, that they certainly are way, way far from infallible. And where the judgment matters is, did we pick a containable problem did we pick something with a data space that we have some measure of confidence in? And do we pick a thing that we can have some way of validating gives uh, useful and clear, intelligent answers? And from that, we can evolve. And, and then I think AI as augmented intelligence becomes helpful. Example, I remember when my daughter was in school and she was taking math classes, she'd have a calculator, right? I wasn't I come from a generation before I didn't get a calculator. Uh, I actually had a slide rule in my first year. So, you know, well, those of some people on your podcast are Googling what the heck is a slide rule. Uh, but anyways, you know, this thing that looked like, uh, I don't know what you'd call it today, but it was, it was pretty bizarre, I think, today. You had to, in your head, say, is this logical is this answer even make any sense uh, before you just wrote it down on a piece of paper? Oh, yeah, that's this. Now, I said to her, because she was taking tests and she was allowed to use a calculator, I said, you know, you got to second guess yourself. The calculator can be great. Calculator without second guessing the answer is scary because all it takes is a key punch. And if you start believing it, you're going to start writing down stuff. And you don't know whether it's right or wrong. You just start to accept it because you believe that the calculator is authoritative. It's not. It can be as wrong as anything else. Not, not that the circuits are wrong, but the input was wrong. And you might have misread it. Lots of stuff can go haywire there. And I think the same applies to AI. Here's this thing. It's going to pop up an answer. Now, you got to interpret it. It isn't meant to be the answer. Uh, it's meant for a person to look at it and say, okay, that helped me. I get it. I didn't even know that that was out there, but now I do, and that changes my opinion. And the reason it's there is for these reasons. I buy that. I can use this. Now, let's go forward. But when I get onto the website to buy a book and it says, we think you'd like to read this, I look at some of those books and I said, where in the heck did you come up with that? Yeah, let me knock these off the list because there's no way but this one actually looks good, so I'm going to take that one. I'm not going to just say, oh, because the thing said, I would like to read these four books. Here we go. Let's punch an order for each one of them. you got to have the human judgment element in it, and that's why I think it's augmented rather than artificial. I believe that's the premise in government of the adoption of this capability into the way we help manage government. Well, to your point, you can't read your mind yet. 
in that uh, it, there's a feedback loop there that helps with the AI. You, you've got to provide feedback. Like you selected the book, and then it'll learn from that and go from there. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I criticize my music uh, that they're picking bad songs. And, you know, I know that they're learning from the songs I'm listening to, but I do a poor job of hitting what I like and what I don't. I could probably help it a little bit uh, along more than I do today. Anyway, um, hey, last question. Uh, and a pleasure uh, having a chat with you. Where can folks reach out to you or if they have more, like if you're government, healthcare, or anybody out there, they have questions on how to get started and, you know, getting some advice from you or, you know, the services organization, where can they reach out to uh, to contact you or if you want to, you can email me at C-A-Y-U-S-T-I at us.ibm.com. I am on LinkedIn as Claude Eusti, C-L-A-U-D-E, Y-U-S-T-I. And if you want to uh, pop a question over to me, I would be glad to respond to you. Is there any other website that, uh, that you should refer people to? If not, we can put it in the show notes or we'll just give them your LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is great. You know, we have the IBM Center for Electronic Government, which is the website that we use in our federal space. I can send that to you later as a URL. And there's a number of studies I've contributed to writing several of them that talk about government, artificial intelligence, intelligent automation, how to adopt it. Uh, folks might find some useful resources there as well. But if it's fine, I can just send you the URL to LinkedIn. That'd be great. We're right at time. You've got like two more minutes. I want to play a game with you. You, you game? <laughs> oh boy! All right, uh, I'm game. Is this, this is this getting one... transmitted or is this just you and me? <laughs> no, no, it'll get transmitted. We, we if I can make fun of you, that's what I do. See, there, there we go. go. There you go. This is a would you rather game. I do this. I, it's still one of my favorite games. You got to pick one side or the other. I'm going to give you these. In your first reaction, I promise you, going to go. Well, you got to have both of those. Okay. The question is, is if you got to fall on one side of the fence, what side of the fence you're going to fall on? All right, you ready? Yep. All right, AI making health decisions or humans making health decisions? Human. Humans. All right. Canadian healthcare system or US healthcare system? US. Oh man, we got so beach <laughs> or city. I don't know where this one came from, but beach or city? I would say beach. Beach. So here it is. What's more important for AI? The volume of data or data organizations? I think data organization. Ah. Uh, wine or beer? Let's go with that one. Beer. Yeah, all right. All right, so you're going back to the Heineken, huh? <laughs> you had any choice and you chose My Heineken. My dad is from Belgium, and the only thing they do in Belgium beyond chocolate that everybody knows about is beer. So there you go. All right, here's my last question. And it, this is kind of interesting because it kind of it hits me a little bit. And that is, is uh, I'm going to ask it this way. I don't know if you have kids or not. We didn't get into that. But if you have a kid or you're going to give a suggestion to a young lady or man that's going into college, do you suggest electrical engineering or do you suggest data science? I would suggest electrical engineering. And uh, can I give an answer why? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Hit, hit it. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, first of all, when I went to engineering school. I met my wife. She was the only woman in the electrical engineering program my year. I think that STEM is critical and data science is great. Electrical engineering is data science and it also includes a lot of fundamentals about 
systems design and areas like that that I think are valuable as you uh, build a career. I'd love to see a lot more electrical engineers coming out that can join organizations and help them rethink how to get things done. Coming completely biased from an electrical engineer, I'm sure some data scientists are saying you don't get it, but th that's where my perspective comes from. I actually, I mean, I'll just out myself. I, I answered the same way. I've been asked that question. In fact, actually, the, the neighbor kid was asking me that question, and I answered it much the same. Maybe I'm just, I, I've drank the Kool-Aid because I went through electrical engineering, but I, I think uh, very similar to you. I think that there's good to have those fundamentals that you mentioned, et cetera. Thank you for being on the show today. It has been a great chat. Very easy. I love chats like these. So uh, you're very knowledgeable, Claude, and I appreciate you being here and sharing that with us. Oh, thank you for the time. And uh, it was a pleasure. I hope people find it useful. Uh, I know that they will. Thank you. So, A, all you listeners, again, as always, we greatly appreciate it. Hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.